Hi, everybody. I'm Abby. And I'm Spencer, and we'd like to welcome you to the face-to-face -face event with our guest, Elder David A. Bednar of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and his wonderful wife, Susan. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's really a privilege to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. We have youth all over the world participating in this event. Whether you're with your family, your friends, or your youth group, we welcome you. It's a wonderful opportunity. In fact, we have an early morning seminary class from the Philippines, where it's currently 8 o'clock in the morning. Hi, guys. Hi. We've seen your tweets, and we're so excited to have you guys here with us. We also have a youth group joining us from Guatemala. Hola. Hola. <laughs> Remember, everyone, that this is a two-way conversation, so you guys can submit your own questions to the hashtag LDSFace2Face, -face, that's the number two, or you guys can go on to the website lds.org youth. Once the event is over, you can re-watch it on the Youth Activity site. We're going to start with an opening prayer from a young woman in the Philippines. Her name is Kaiza. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are blessed to have gathered here today with our beloved Apostle, Elder David A. Benner, and his wife, Sister Benner. We feel thy love through him and other leaders of our church. We are grateful for thy loving guidance and protection as we go out and meet the challenges of our time. We thank thee for our dear parents who are always there for us. We also thank you for Savior and Redeemer Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. This time we ask you to bless us with a spirit that we may understand and put into our hearts the counsels and inspirations we are going to hear today. We love you, Father, and this we humbly pray in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So unfortunately, there's no way for us to answer all of your questions tonight, but what me and Spencer have learned through this is that it's not just about Elder and Sister Bednar answering our questions, but it's also about us finding our own answers through the Spirit. Elder Bednar, do you have anything else to share about this? Just uh, what a thrill it is <clears throat> to participate in this truly historic event. I'm quite sure this is the largest mutual activity in the history of the restored church. <laughs> the other thing is, uh, it's a combination of what was just expressed in the prayer and what you just said. <clears throat> Susan and I hope tonight that all of the young people participating will hear much more than is said. Sister Bednar and I are not able to answer the questions. We don't have the capacity to answer some of the really challenging questions that people have. We're not smart enough, don't have enough experience. But as together we interact, seeking for the companionship of the Holy Ghost, then people will receive thoughts and feelings. They will, will receive impressions and inspiration by the power of the Holy Ghost, and they will hear things that are not said by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what we hope really happens here tonight. Anything you want to add? No, I know that if you've checked online, there were a lot of questions before the event even started, and many, many, many have been pouring in uh, this morning and through the day. So just know that uh, you can get an answer to your question if you're prayerful and you have a prayer in your heart. And even though your question might not be asked, I bet you'll still get an answer to your question. 
Awesome. Thank you. At the end of the event, we are going to have a closing prayer by Nathan of Utah. Are you ready? Let's start with our first question. (laughs) So this one has been asked a lot so far. This one comes from David from the United States. He says, sometimes at school, all I seem to hear is profanity, vulgarity, and faithlessness. Many of other students and teachers go out of their way to point out that there is no God. Am I the only, and I am only in eighth grade. How do I stand up for my beliefs, and how do I avoid becoming discouraged based on the direction this world seems to be going? Well, I'm personally excited to answer a question from a young man named David. (laughs) And though he's in the eighth grade, uh, what he's experiencing is not new. Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area quite some time ago. It would be ancient history for all of you. But it was at a time when there was great upheaval in that part of California, and it spread to many other places throughout North America and the world. And in the school that I attended, there were only just a few Latter-day Saints. So I think I've lived that experience of having the opposition from teachers and all kinds of other people. I would invite David, this young man, to study carefully the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. they were not willing to worship the God of Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't going to pray to this image. Nebuchadnezzar was very angry, and so he had them cast into the fires. If you'll read that, it's intriguing to me that their flesh was not burned. And this is the part I find most remarkable. And the smell of the smoke did not come upon them. In other words, the stink of the smoke didn't linger on them. Now, if you've ever been to a campfire or you've been around a fire, it's hard not to have the stink of the smoke stick on you. And if David will prayerfully read that story, what was it about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that enabled them to be saved and preserved, but more importantly, perhaps, how did the stink of the smoke, how did the influence of all that opposition not come upon them? Now, obviously, it was his faith in God. But there are some other things in that episode that that David can go read about and learn from it for himself by the power of the Holy Ghost. What was it that brought about that protecting power? And then if David will look for some other similar kinds of episodes in the scriptures, who else seemed to be alone and had to face that type of opposition? If I just sit here and say, well, David, you should do these four things. That won't help the David who asked this question. But if he'll take that little bit of direction that I just tried to provide, and he'll go into the scriptures looking for similar kinds of episodes, as he does so, the Holy Ghost will teach and tutor him in a very individual way about his circumstances, where he lives, what he needs to do to make sure that the stink of the smoke of the opposition doesn't stick on him. Well, I was just thinking that these problems have been around ever since the Old Testament, since the beginning of time. So we don't live in a time that's 
really unique. Maybe there are different challenges, but we just need to know that we can liken the scriptures to ourselves. We can bring them alive as we do that. And it's just a wonderful way to learn about other people and how they, in God's way, did what they needed to do at the time they lived. And then I was thinking, too, we had an opportunity many years ago to be with a group of students here in Salt Lake City and meet with President Hinckley. And one of the students asked, what would you teach us that we could take back to the students at BYU-Idaho? And President Hinckley made a remarkable comment that I've never forgotten that I think is so helpful for us that live in this day and this time where we do have challenges and temptations. And he said, have faith. Faith in the Lord, faith in yourself, and faith in the future. That just makes me hopeful. That even though times are tough and and the world is full of um, moral pollution, just like our earth has pollution, that we can do well, that we can survive with faith. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Um, This next question um, (laughs) is a great one. (laughs) I really like this one. (laughs) Is it yours? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So a lot of people are wondering, like, how you guys met and um, what made you guys fall in love with each other? I'll defer to Sister Bednar. (laughs) (laughs) That's because I'll tell it the right way. (laughs) We were students at BYU and and met as students. In fact, it was interesting that we met in a family home evening activity. We were divided up into groups in our ward at Brigham Young University, and we had a home evening activity, and that's where I met him. So it was a wonderful beginning, but we didn't just fall in love at first sight. And many people think that's how it's done, that you just look at someone and you know that they're the right one, that you're going to fall in love and get married. But it took some time. So I encourage you to, to not just go on a date with someone one time and say, well, that person's not for me. And I think Elder Bednar and I would both agree that people don't fall in love but you pick someone with whom you can create the love that you desire. So we've spent 40 years of being married and creating that love. And I can honestly say that we're more in love today than we were 40 years ago. Now, 40 years to you sounds like a long, long time, and it is. (laughs) But it is just wonderful. We celebrated just about six weeks ago our 40th wedding anniversary. And it's been a wonderful 40 years of learning and growing and, and becoming complementary to each other and letting our differences work together. Because men and women are different in many, many ways. But it's been wonderful as we've tried to let those unique characteristics that each one of us has build a a wonderful and lasting relationship that will endure not only time, but eternity. 
The word love is both a verb and a noun. And I think sometimes we think, well, I have to have the feeling, the noun, before I start doing love the verb. It works both ways. Now, I don't want this to sound unromantic, but the feeling follows love the verb. And so we find young people all over the world who think, well, I have to find the one and true and only. And more correctly, you have to become the one and true and only through what you do and what you become. So when she said you don't just fall in love, that doesn't just happen. You don't just sit around and wait for that to occur. You engage in love, the verb, and then love the noun. The emotion and the feeling is just remarkable. So I think you create it, you don't find it. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Our next question is coming from Guatemala, so we'll tune in to them. Okay. Hi, everyone. Hola, Elias. Hola. Como esta? Are you ready to ask your question? Sí, ya estamos listos. We're going to have the next Queremos saber cómo... Oh, sorry. Queremos saber cómo podríamos hacer la obra misional una parte más activa en nuestra vida. Very good. We're going to have Vanessa from the audience come and translate for us. Could you repeat the question? Will you guys repeat the question? Mm-hmm. Sí, quisiéramos saber cómo podríamos hacer de la obra misional they want to know how they can make missionary work a better part of their lives, a bigger part of their lives, and more active in their lives. Excelente pregunta. <laughs> Do you want to begin, or would you like me to? Okay. Well, this, uh, my answer will be influenced by my experience growing up as a boy in California where there were not many Latter-day Saints in my school. If we live the gospel, then we are strange in a very positive way. Uh, The scriptures call us a peculiar people. Well, if you live the gospel, then there are many things that you will do and not do that your associates and friends do, and they'll think you're strange. And frankly, they will often ask you, why are you strange? Why do you do the weird things that you do? And that provides a remarkable opportunity to explain very basic reasons why we do the things that we do. Uh, I participated in lots of athletics when I was in high school. And the friends that I had did things on the weekends that a Latter-day Saint boy will not do. And they used to mock me and make fun of me, and they would call me names. Now, Sister Bednar gets upset if I ever use this word. But one of the things that they would say to me is that I was stupid, stupido, for not doing the things that they did. But they would go and they would drink and get drunk. They would do drugs. They would be immoral and do things to violate the law of chastity. And they would accuse me of being stupido because I wouldn't do those things. And I frankly said to them, I think you're stupido. (laughs) Because you get sick doing those things. You do things with people you don't know. 
that you can't remember and you think, I'm stupid? So if you just live the gospel, you don't have to call people stupid all, but they're going to ask you why you are like that and why you do the things that you do. You don't have to try to push the gospel onto people. Just live it. And as you live it, many people will be curious. They will ask. And that provides an opportunity for you to assist them in learning about why you are the way that you are. That you know that there's a God in heaven. He has a plan. You're a son or a daughter of our Heavenly Father. And that living according to his plan is what brings real joy and lasting happiness not temporary things in the world. So live the gospel. You will be strange. People will ask you. That's an opportunity to respond to their questions. Thank you very much. Go ahead. I just wanted to mention something. We lived in an area of the world where there were very few members of the church. And so as a family and as a ward, as a stake, we prayed every day for missionary opportunities. We prayed that we would have a missionary opportunity, that we would have eyes to see it when it came, and that we would have the faith to open our mouth and declare the good news. So to me, that's something that you can do every day is pray in faith for a missionary opportunity and then have the courage to act on it. Another thing that our sons found really enjoyable to do was to give away a For the Strength of Youth booklet. And it was amazing that when they were with their friends, their friends were always looking through their wallets and looking at pictures that they might have in their wallets, but they'd always find this little wallet-sized pamphlet. I don't know if they even have it anymore, For the Strength of Youth. Do you have wallet-sized? And their friends were intrigued as they read those standards in an abbreviated form and what our sons were asked to live as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that became a wonderful, wonderful missionary tool and a great missionary opportunity. So don't ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have the courage to open your mouth. That was a great question. Great question. Thank you, everyone. I love your smile, by the way. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so as we, Hilter Bednar, you mentioned that we, as we live the gospel, that it becomes easier to share our gospel, right? Well, a lot of youth, as we try to live the gospel, we're worried about if it's okay to do something. For example... Is it okay to watch a movie with violence in it? Can I study date? Can I kiss while a teenager? Can I do certain things on Sunday? What advice do you have for these types of questions? May I ask you one question before I respond to that one? Yes. How do you think we're doing in responding to the questions? Are we missing the mark? Do you think we're hitting it? Are we just old people talking about old people's <laughs> stuff? Or do you think this is... is somewhat connecting with the people who are asking the questions. What do you think? I think it is. I think it is. I think you're just being nice to us. Oh, no. no, no it's honest. <laughs> it's All honest. right. Okay. Um, for the folks who are asking these questions, I hope they'll choose not to be offended by my answer. And that is they need to elevate the questions. They don't want somebody to tell them you can or can't do this on Sunday. You should or should not go to this movie. They should be able to figure that out for themselves. Number one, 
and I don't want that to be harsh, but the greatest compliment that Sister Bednar and I can give you is to talk straight about things that really matter. Why would you expect somebody else to tell you whether you should or should not do those things? Number one, if these are baptized members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then they have, by priesthood authority, been blessed to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's like a liahona to help point the way. Well, just stop and think about it. Be prayerful about it. You'll come to know for yourself whether you ought to go see a movie that has extreme violence in it. Elder Nelson gave a great example in the last general conference of how a principal can answer all kinds of application questions like that. Every question about the Sabbath, what you should or should not do, is answered by one simple thing. The Sabbath day is a sign of a covenant between God and his children. So what signal, what sign do you and I want to send to God about that covenant on the Sabbath day? If you just consider that question, well, should I or should I not do this on the Sabbath? The question is, what signal do I want to send to God? I think it's pretty easy. If you get lined up on a correct principle, figuring out all of the different applications is not that hard. And you don't need somebody else to tell you whether you should or should not. Help me know, is that too harsh? Did that no, respond? I, you okay? I, I think the youth need that. Good. I really yeah, do. Definitely. Yeah. So going kind of along, the, along those lines, um, there, there's youth of the church wondering how they can control their thoughts better of doing certain things. Do you have any advice for them? Well, I think of that scripture that as a man thinketh, so is he. So our thoughts are extremely, extremely important. And it takes some, some help from the Holy Ghost. It takes, it takes prayer. It takes many, many things to make sure that your thoughts are congruent with what you believe. And it's easy for a bad thought to come once in a while. But I just think that um, there's another scripture that says, Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. And if we're trying to remember the Savior, we're remembering our baptismal covenants and trying to remember him, then our thoughts will be clean and pure. And if they're not, then... Just we need to pray for help that they can become more clean and pure. Elder Bednar has an analogy that I've heard him give before that I think might be really helpful for this. Well, number one, before I get to the analogy, in the world in which we live, you don't have to seek out things that cause bad thoughts. Sometimes they're almost thrust upon us. And a young person, any person, could think, oh, my goodness, I've done a terrible thing. I've had a bad thought. It's only a sin. If you didn't seek it out, if you didn't invite it, it's only a sin if once you've seen it, you let it stay. You have to work to cast it out. So I would make a differentiation between anxiously seeking for things that are bad, that cause bad thoughts, and just seeing something on a billboard, on a TV commercial that you didn't want to see, but all of a sudden you saw that image. Well, cast it out. 
So imagine that you have a container, okay? The container has an opening on each end the, the size of one grain of sand. And in that container, it's filled with dirty, dark sand. What do you do to clean it up? You pop in one white grain of sand in this end of this container, and a dark one pops out this end. Has the container changed with just one grain of sand? Yes, but not very much. That's how you work to push it out and cast out those evil thoughts that may come, even if you weren't trying to seek them. Well, what is it that pushes the good grain of sand in and pops a bad one out? Well, it may be a scripture that you've learned that morning or a hymn that you love. Sometimes people will say, Brother Bednar, you never look at the hymn book. That's because I've tried to learn the lyrics to most of the hymns in the hymn book. Because I learned as a really young person, if you always use the same scripture or the same hymn every time you have a bad thought, ultimately that scripture or that hymn can cause you to lead to a bad thought. So I had to have a bunch of them. There's a good reason to learn lots of different scriptures and commit them to memory and hymns and lots of other edifying, uplifting material that we can put into our head and into our heart. And when one of those things pops up that you're not inviting, you can very quickly push it out and replace it with something that is bright and light and white and righteous. So if you've accumulated a lot of those bad thoughts in your head, they come back and they haunt you, and they come back at the worst possible time. If you will be patient over time and keep putting in white grains of sand, every time you do, you're popping out one of those dark ones. It won't happen fast, but ultimately you change the entire content of the container, and it can be filled with pure white sand. Good analogy. Is that what you were hoping for? (laughs) Anything you want to correct? No, but I think that's a good analogy. But we've talked about this before, and you think of sand, well, it's just a tiny little grain, but we have many thoughts. Every single day, our whole day is filled with thoughts. And I think, too, if you're having thoughts that aren't what you want, then get up and move and change your activity and, and do something else. So... That helps me. And then Elder Bednar always asks me, what are you humming? Because I just kind of hum. And I'll tell him what it is, and it's, always, it's usually a, a church song or a primary song. And if you have those lyrics to different songs that you've learned at church and in primary going through your mind all the time, then you're thinking about good things, things that are good and, and worthy and and will help you with what you need to do in trying to master your thoughts. And then ask the Lord to help you. He's the best, the best person in all of this. Yeah. He'll help you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. That's great. Our next question is directed towards Sister Bednar. This is from Paula from Mexico. She asks, low self-esteem is a constant problem for me. People say I'm intelligent, spiritual, obedient, and funny, but being beautiful and cute isn't one of those things. How can I deal with this? How can I stop caring about what others see or think about me? Why is it so hard for us to accept the way we look or the way we talk? Well, first of all, I would say that maybe this 
young woman's being too hard on herself. I like to think of not the word self-esteem, but the word from the young women's values, individual worth. And before that comes divine nature. If you understand who you are as a daughter of God, then you know that you are of worth to him, that you do have individual worth. And I would capitalize on the things that you know that you're good at. And I was also thinking when you read that question, my mother used to tell me, beauty is as beauty does. Our actions reflect our beauty more than physical appearance. And so I just look at, at young people, and if I can see the light of the gospel in their eyes, they're beautiful to me. And I think this young woman is beautiful. She just doesn't recognize it. And I hope that she will pray to know even more more inside of her mind and her heart that she truly is a daughter of God and that she does have a divine nature and that she will use that divine nature to bless other people and not be bothered if people don't say, well, you're, you're beautiful or those kind of compliments because that's not what really matters. The thing that really matters is the compliment. You are a daughter of God and you have worth to others and to your Heavenly Father. That's what really matters. This was directed to Sister Bednar. Can I add just a line? (laughs) He'll make the answer even better. No, I won't. I'm not trying to add on what you said. I think in our contemporary world, beauty is equated with physical attractiveness. And that is a very limited and shallow definition. Because young people grow up and turn into wrinkly people like us. So there are people who would say that, you know, Sister Bednar is a nice-looking elderly woman. Now, given our life together... Are you an elderly man? Yeah, of course I am. (laughs) Okay. There is a beauty in Sister Bednar's countenance that's not physical in her eyes, in the light in her countenance. Sister Bednar was gorgeous as a young woman. Now, that beauty is not in her physical attractiveness. She is very physically attractive. She's beautiful. But it's not restricted to just physical attractiveness. I've often said about Sister Bednar, we have things in the church that we talk about that are rather abstract. So we talk about faith as a principle, but what does faith look like? What is it? Well, one of the young women's virtues is virtue. If you want to know what virtue looks like, it's sitting right here, and that's beauty. So at her age, there's not another woman on this planet that I think is as beautiful as Sister Bednar because of what's in her, not what's on the outside. 
That was beautifully said. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I think we can all do is every day we can pray in our morning prayers, Heavenly Father, help others to see the light of the gospel in my countenance, in my eyes, in my face, in the way I treat other people, in my smile. And I have not met a person in all the traveling that we've done that does not have a great smile. Everyone has a beautiful smile and beautiful eyes. And you can, you can shine the light of the gospel through your face. Definitely. Thank you. Um, we just have a follow-up question um, from Josh on Facebook. And he asks... Oftentimes, youth have questions and struggle with lack of self-esteem, but I have a hard time with quite the opposite, pride. How can I drive my feelings of pride aware, aware, especially when I often receive high praises from my peers? Great question. Well, if you enjoy that too much, then it's probably a little bit over the top. But this must be a person that does a lot of things well, just like this young woman that we, that we answered her question. She does a lot of things well. But when you let it control you and you miss opportunities to grow in other ways and to serve and to expand yourself and to get outside of your comfort zone of things you do well, then you're not allowing yourself the kind of growth that you need to grow and mature and become what you want to and need to become. I don't know if that made sense, what I'm trying to say or not. I have a, this was a young man, is yeah. that right? I have an invitation for him. If he'll read in The Pearl of Great Price, Moses has an experience And following that experience, he says, And now I know that man is nothing, which thing I never before had supposed. I think that's a pretty good example of humility. Question, what happened to Moses? Now, this young man, if he'll go dig that out and find it, if he's asking, seeking, knocking, acting, in the very pattern of searching for that answer, the Holy Ghost will tutor him about what it means to be humble. Second example, Nephi says, O wretched man that I am. And he laments. Now, Nephi is about as good as anybody can be, but he's lamenting his own limitation and weakness. What was going on with Nephi when that happened? Now, those are two examples for this young man. You have to read the entire episode to understand how Nephi came to the point where he said, O wretched man that I am. I would invite this young man to study those two episodes and then find others where people go from being prideful to humble. And if he's willing to do that, if he's willing to dig to find those stories and the lessons that we can glean from them, then as a servant of the Lord, I can promise that specific young man that the Holy Ghost will help him individually in ways he can't imagine to learn how to overcome pride. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Parts from India. He's a foreign exchange student. 
Hi, good evening. So, like she said, I'm an exchange student from India and I'm Hindu. So, I would like to know about your experiences being an apostle. Great question, thank you very much. I may take more than just a minute or two on this one. Go for it. I think people who view members of the Quorum of the Twelve in the First Presidency think that our primary responsibility is to give talks in general conference, participate in temple dedications, a wide variety of very large public events. And that's accurate. We do all those things. But the very first weekend after I was called to the Quorum of the Twelve, I had an experience that I think most appropriately answers your question. I had a stake conference. I went to a particular part of the United States, and the stake president picked me up at the airport. We were driving to the building where we were going to have our meetings, and along the way, he asked me if I would be willing to visit with his brother. His brother had been baptized into the church but struggled living the word of wisdom. So he asked if I would meet with his brother, and I said I'd be glad to. That evening... This man was waiting for me in one of the rooms in the building, and I walked in. I had no idea what I was going to say. But I went over to him, and I said, I'm a servant of the Lord. And he sent me to this stake this weekend to deliver to you a very simple message. You can do this. He knows you can do this, and as his servant, I promise you will have his help as you face this challenge. And then I gave him a hug, and I simply asked him to stay in touch with me to let me know how he was doing. Now, what I learned that first weekend is that I had an assignment to go participate in lots of meetings and preside at a general session of a state conference, but that isn't why I went. The Lord had me go on that assignment to be with that one man, to deliver that message in the authority of the Holy Apostleship. Now, I didn't know then how typical that would be of the work of a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. I won't take the time here, but every time Sister Bednar and I travel internationally or any place we go, I bear that sacred mantle of the Holy Apostleship. And that authority doesn't go any place by coincidence. So... Would the Lord send one of 12 apostles halfway around the world to help just one person? The answer is yes, he does it all the time. That's my experience as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Yes, we do all those big things that everybody sees, but perhaps, most importantly, it's about ones. And my experience as an apostle is to travel the world wherever the Lord sends me on assignment, to find a one. We just recently came back from an experience where I don't always know who the one is, but it was a little boy uh, dealing with some of the very things we're talking about tonight, living in another part of the world with his family, where he encounters a lot of opposition from people at school and everything else. And for that little boy, he was the one along with other ones that we encountered during the course of that trip. So that's what my experience is as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. On the Lord's errand, 
doing his work to bless individuals and families. Has that responded to your question? It's a great question. Thank you very much. That's great. All right, our next question is going to come from the Philippines. Um, hi, I'm Enos, and I'm 16 years old, and this is my question. How do I develop the attitude of wanting to learn both in secular and spiritual things? How does one des- develop the desire to learn? Do I understand the question? Yes. Great yes. question. Would you like to begin? Do you want me to? What would you like? Well, let me just say something about learning. Learning can be fun and enjoyable. And I hope that all of you young people will realize that an education is important. So for those of you who have the opportunity to do so and will work for that opportunity, I hope that you would get all the education that you can. It will bless your life in remarkable ways and it will bless your future families. But you have to have a desire and you have to keep working at it. I think when I, I, when I was 16 years old, I don't know that I knew how to study the scriptures the way you young people do today. You're wonderful and you're so good at it. I hope that you will continue that spiritual study that you'll know that you need every day nourishment from a spiritual source, from the scriptures, from conference talks, from seminary, whatever it is, that you'll nourish yourself spiritually, and then that you'll also have a desire to learn secular things. We learn about that it's important to have knowledge of things above the earth and under the earth. It tells us that in the scriptures and of, of many other things. So branch out. Don't be afraid to branch out into your studies, in your secular studies and also in your spiritual studies. And then just pray for the desire to, to have an inquisitive mind. If you have a question, then go after it. Seek for knowledge, seek for the answer, and you'll get it. I could talk for hours about this particular question. I promise I won't do that. You have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is the perfect teacher. He's the ultimate teacher. I would even go so far as to say he's the only teacher ultimately that matters. The gospel is about learning and growing and changing. Education is about learning and changing. So the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is pressing forward to learn more, to become better. Not just in and of ourselves, but with help from God. For example, as you... Pursue whatever you might study in school, if it's mathematics or history or whatever topic. The Holy Ghost can bring all things to your remembrance. That's the scriptural description of his work. Well, that works for mathematics. If you have worked diligently to put principles of mathematics into your mind, then when you need to take a test or apply those principles... Your membership in the church, the gift of the Holy Ghost, 
can be an assist to you in using those things for righteousness and in a way that will help you to continue to grow. It's intriguing to me that so many people, the natural man in all of us, wants to stay the same. Don't make me change. I'm used to this pattern. I want to keep doing things the way they are. But what is repenting? It's changing and improving. What is education? It's learning and changing and improving. So the natural man wants to stay the same. The man of Christ, the woman of Christ, is constantly pressing forward, changing, trying to improve. Learning is the essence of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have heavenly help in that process of learning. Now, since I can talk with you and you can respond, is this making any sense? Is this helping you? Or are there parts of your question that you feel that we've missed? Um, yes. <laughs> so may I, may I ask you a question? Yes. You don't seem very thrilled that yes. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> so, well, that's okay. So am I. So, based on what you heard, not what I said, but what you heard, what does that suggest for you? What do you learn from that? that? I should. I should make more effort in learning. And as you do so, if you will work diligently, then you'll have help from heaven by the power of the Holy Ghost to improve your learning. Yes, yes. Seek, seek learning by study and also by faith, the scriptures teach. Great question. Thank you. Thank you. Can I just say something, too? I think one of the greatest places that you can learn is in the mission field as you prepare for a mission and as you go on a mission. The learning curve is steep and it's hard, but the things that you learn as a missionary bless you for the rest of your life and they give you the tools that you need to be able to learn secular things. So you learn how to study and do spiritual things and then you're blessed to be able to do the secular learning as well. And they can go hand in hand. I've always admired Elder Bednar because he has a wonderful education. He went to school for a very, very long time. But he always looked at what he learned through the lens of the gospel. He didn't ever look at the gospel through the lens of what he learned. And it's helped keep him on a path of learning both secular and spiritual learning. That has blessed him, it's blessed our family. And it's brought opportunities to him and to us in a remarkable way. That will come to you if you can learn how to do secular and spiritual learning. So hopefully you're going to serve a mission someday. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. All right. Our next questions come from Serenity from Canada and William from French Polynesia. They have similar questions. Um, Serenity asked, how do I tell the difference between promptings from the Holy Ghost and my own thoughts? And William asked, can you teach me how to recognize the Holy Ghost when he speaks to me? 
You start. I'm going to look. I'm going to turn to the scriptures. I love a scripture that answers this question for me. So okay. let me find it quick. So you want me to go? Uh-huh. Okay. Please. I think we overcomplicate this. I think we overanalyze it. Moroni teaches that all good emanates from Christ. So if you have a thought to do something good, it's prompted by the Holy Ghost. So, for example, if a student goes to early morning seminary class and your mother every day says, be sure to say your prayers. And one day you forget to say your prayers and in your mind you hear your mother's voice saying, be sure to say your prayers. Is that the Holy Ghost or is that you? What difference does it make? Is Moroni going to come to deliver that message? Or would the Holy Ghost use the memory of your angel mother to deliver the same message? So if it invites and entices to do good, it comes from Christ. And we ought to do it. Now, I'm sure these folks who ask the question, well, okay, but what if I'm making a decision about... Should I go to this school or should I go to that school? How do I begin to know the difference? You study it out in your own mind. You don't just sit and wait for heaven to deliver the answer. You have to learn about the two options. You do your best to understand and compare them. And then ultimately you make a choice. And you take that option that you've selected in prayer to our Heavenly Father. And you ask in the name of Christ, is this the right one? You, have, you and I have the responsibility to study that out. If it's right, then over time, we'll come to know by the simple reassurance of the Holy Ghost that, yeah, this is the thing to do. Sometimes you have two good options and you never feel really strong about one or the other. There are even some times where Heavenly Father will say, you make a judgment here. If it's wrong, you'll be warned as you begin to try to apply the decision that you've made. No member of this church who's trying to be a good boy or a good girl will fail to be warned by the Holy Ghost if they're heading in a direction that is not right. But you won't always know that necessarily before you begin pressing forward. So we have to study it out. We have to act and most answers from the Holy Ghost come a little bit at a time, not all at once. They come in small packages, not great big bundles. So we can pray one time and think, well, I didn't get an answer. Well, you probably got a part of the answer. But you have to keep pressing forward to get the other parts of the answer that help you know which path you need to pursue. Thank you. This is a way that I like to think about this. When we're baptized and we come under covenant, we make promises that we're willing to take upon ourselves the name of Christ, that we'll always remember him and that we'll keep his commandments. And then a glorious promise is given back to us that we will always have his spirit to be with us. Now that spirit can stay with us if we're obedient and if we're doing the things that we should. And when we are doing those things, then I think that 
we don't always feel a really big dramatic thing going on when we're trying to make a decision. I think that we can just trust that if we're living the way we should, that the Lord's there guiding us and blessing us along the way, like Elder Bednar said. And I love the scriptures in Moroni chapter 7, and it says, Behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. I think that answers my question most of the time about is this the Holy Ghost telling me what to do or is it my own feelings telling me what to do? If we're being enticed to do good and to love God, then that's definitely from the Holy Ghost. I need to add one more scriptural episode. Sometimes I think in the church we believe that I have to receive a revelation, I have to know it's a revelation, and I'm not going to do anything until that happens. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a principle of action and of power. We act in accordance with the teachings of Christ, then his power follows. So sometimes what we do is pray for the power so we can act, when the Lord's pattern is to act and do what he said, and then the power comes. Nephi has to go to Jerusalem three times to obtain the plates of brass. Did he make a mistake the first time? They drew lots. He goes, they didn't get them. Was he just, that's him? Was that the Holy Ghost? That was an invaluable lesson that they had to learn. They go the second time. Let's use our worldly goods, our gold and silver. That didn't work out too well. Third time they go. This is how Nephi describes it. And I went not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. He knew what to do. Go to Jerusalem, get the plates. Had he received specific Revelation about how to do it? No. When did he get the revelation? When he was going to Jerusalem to get the plates, even though he didn't know how. Now, again, I don't mean to sound funny here, but I think there's a reason why that's at the very beginning of the Book of Mormon. You read the first part of the Book of Mormon, and you get to the Isaiah chapters, and sometimes people will stop. And then they go back and they start again, and again, and again. And we read that episode a bazillion times in our lives because I think the Lord wants us to understand many times the revelation doesn't come until we're pressing forward and going. It's not when you're just sitting and waiting for it to come. And I went not knowing beforehand the things that I should do. So sometimes the Lord expects us to trust him and press forward to do exactly what Sister Bednar just said. He'll guide our steps inspire what we say and do and in the moment we won't even know it thank you and i think we're blessed a whole lot more than we know with with guidance from the spirit many times i don't even think we recognize it or or know it's not something that we recognize as being guided i think when we have the opportunity someday to look back on our life we'll say wow Heaven was in charge and really was blessing me and helping me to do so much that I didn't even know at the time. It's very true. Thank you. Yeah. All right. 
Ready for the next question? Sure. <laughs> okay. Are you getting tired? Nah. You okay? I'm good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. This question comes from a young man in New Zealand and just came in. And he, he says the following. I find it hard to talk to my parents about situa situations that I have been in. I don't want them to be disappointed with me or angry that I couldn't cope with peer pressure. Um, what advice do you have? This is a question where we have to be wise in how we answer this. Uh, it would be easy to say, well, just talk to your parents. But this may be a case where parents possibly could be abusive. And that's why he's afraid to talk. So there's a lot that we don't know. And we don't want to give some generic answer that may not be appropriate to the specific circumstances of this young man. So here's a principle that can help this young man come to the answer to his question. The spiritual gift of discernment is the ability to see not just with natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes. To hear not just with natural ears, but with spiritual ears. This young man needs to learn about the spiritual gift of discernment. So it can operate in his life. And what discernment ultimately means is not just recognizing between good and bad. But discernment is the capacity, the spiritual gift to see the good in someone else that that individual perhaps has not recognized. And it's also the ability to help them develop it. Now, if this young man will earnestly seek for the gift of discernment, then he will come to know when he should or when he shouldn't talk. What he should and what he shouldn't say. Because he'll be able to see what he cannot ordinarily see and he can hear what he cannot ordinarily hear. There are times when people are silent and they're screaming. But you can only hear that if you have the gift of discernment. So, he may have a, a very sensitive set of issues he has to work through with his parents. And he doesn't know how. He may need to counsel with a priesthood leader or an advisor who could assist him. I don't know what's needed in all of those circumstances, but the Holy Ghost will help him with that gift of discernment, know what he otherwise would not know, see what he otherwise would not see, hear what he in any other circumstance could not hear. So that may sound like a vague answer, but the answer he needs can only come through that spiritual capacity of discernment. And those are some steps he can take to begin to try to seek for that. Thank you. And I think underlying a little bit in that question is that this young man has, feels like he's disappointed his parents, but he's also disappointed himself. And I just want this young man and all the youth that are listening tonight to know that repentance and turning back to God is so important. And that you can feel that redeeming love from a loving Savior who wants you to return to Him. And the worst mistake you could ever make is to not turn to the Lord and allow Him to help you work through your problems and be 
forgiven of what you've done wrong. Because we all make poor choices and we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. And we need the Lord to help us change, as we talked about earlier. So change is possible. And getting back on a path where you can be strong is possible with the help of the Lord. I love this scripture in the New Testament where it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that strength is real. We've all felt it when things have been tough and we didn't think we could do something that was very difficult. We can do things in the strength of the Lord. The strength of the Lord is not just simply determination. It's not just willpower. It's not being disciplined and trying really hard, although those things are important. The atonement of Jesus Christ makes possible forgiveness from sin, but it also strengthens us to do good and become good. I'm not sure that we fully recognize, understand, or appreciate all of that power of the atonement. So for this young man who may be fearful of many things or feeling terribly guilty, he doesn't have to walk this path alone. He has the blessing of capacity, strength, and healing that can come through the Savior's atonement. The the Savior suffered not only for what we did wrong, but for the agony that we feel, for the anguish, for the physical pain for the disappointments and the discouragements. That was all a part of the burden that he bore. Therefore, he and only he can lift us, reassure us, and succor us. Succor us means to lift, to lift us, to do those things that are really hard. So coming to understand those blessings that come through the Savior's atonement can help a person do things that we don't think we otherwise could do. Our next question is coming in from Guatemala. Great. So we'll turn to them. Can you repeat the question? Uh, she's wondering how they can use technology to be able to strengthen and help them in their lives. Thank you. Good. Do you want me to go or do you want me to go? Well, I think that the use of technology is probably a whole lot easier for you young people because you've grown up with it than it is for someone like me. But guess what? I can text... and I can do a few things but I'm still learning I just think that you have a wonderful opportunity to flood the earth with goodness Elder Bednar gave a talk about that if you haven't read it I hope that you will it was in August of 2014 and he talked about flooding the earth with goodness there are so much that you can share through technology with other people. You can be a missionary. You can help other people to come into Christ. You can bless other people's lives, and you can use it in a wonderful way. Just don't let it control you. 
you control it. And that, I think that's the secret with technology. And let it work for you. Be prayerful. You'll find ways that can really help you spread the word and spread the goodness of the gospel through technology. These are wonderful tools that the Lord has brought forth at this time in the history of the earth so that the gospel can roll forward. It's a part of hastening the work of salvation. I think it's very important that all of us learn that these things can also have very negative impacts. They can open a door to material that is vile and unworthy. It's also a way to waste time. There are purposes that can be fulfilled. We can gather information. We can learn things much more rapidly. We can do family history on a digital device. You don't have to go to a building. So there are countless ways that this can bless our life. And also, we idle away our time when we're bored or we don't have anything to do, and we just mindlessly do silly things with technology. It's disturbing that there are so many young people who in a sacrament meeting and even during the ordinance of the sacrament are messing around with their digital devices. So that is clearly a case where it is out of control and they are being controlled by the digital device. How in the world can someone be participating in the ordinance of the sacrament and fussing around with a digital device doing whatever they're doing, unless it's an emergency. So we determine whether the device is put to a good or a bad use. The technology itself is neither good nor bad. It's what we choose to make it. And if we show some discipline, then we can use that technology in remarkable ways where our life is blessed and others can be blessed as well. Great pregunta. Gracias. Why don't we do one more? Okay. Do you want to tap sure. the last one? All right. Our very last question. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> this question um, comes from Ashley from the United States. She asks, did you ever have any doubts about what you know to be true? And if you did, could you tell me how you got through it and what did you... Sorry, and what you did to erase the doubts. Great question. I would begin by being clear about what doubt is. If you look up the definition of doubt in the dictionary, it means to mistrust, to be suspicious, to be cynical, and to disbelieve. Now, there are people who say, well, the church doesn't encourage people to ask questions. I don't agree with that statement. There are things that we seek to learn. We have honest inquiry and we ask, seek, and knock. That's not the same as moving to disbelief, cynicism, suspicion, and mistrust. So are there lots of things that I haven't understood, needed to learn about? The answer is yes. I didn't become mistrusting or cynical but there were things I had to ask, seek, knock, dig, and learn about. Is there perfect information about every question I'd like to have answered? No. But one of my associates in the 12 gave a talk in conference about, you know enough. 
The few things that I don't have answers for do not overrule or overwhelm the fundamental basic things for which I do have answers. And they're not just intellectual in nature. We have to use our heads, but by the power of the Holy Ghost, ultimately is how we come to know. So the answer is, yeah, I've had lots of questions. I still have questions. The gospel is about asking, seeking, knocking, learning, growing, repenting, and improving. So I think the answer to the question, how do you deal with the doubts, is you keep pressing forward. Because that inquiry, the honest, spiritual, intellectual inquiry, never ends. But there's something wrong if that turns to mistrust, suspicion, disbelieving, and cynicism. What would you add? Make that answer better. Well, I don't know if I can do that or not, but I... I'm sure you will. (laughs) We were visiting about this before we all got together online, and I think that when you have questions, you just have to make sure that you include the Lord as your partner in seeking answers for these questions, that the Holy Ghost is a part of the spiritual inquiry. And if, if he is, then you're on the right track. And you might not ever know the answers to some of the questions you have. I remember being your age and having these questions about different things, and I've never come across a good answer to some of them because it's not been revealed. And so you just have to be settled to know that we don't know the answer to this or we don't have enough information in order to get a total and complete answer. And you have to feel settled and satisfied with what we do know. For some people, that's hard because they think, well, if I just study enough or I just pray hard enough or I just keep working on this, then I'll find the answer. And there's nothing more frustrating than moving in a direction like that and not being able to find your answer. But there are many things that we do not know the answer for. So just be satisfied with what you know. And I loved what Elder Bednar said. The gospel in its totality is wonderfully grand. And it blesses us in so many ways. And to have a question about a little thing that maybe is significant to you, but in the totality of the gospel is insignificant. Don't spend your time in those areas. Learn about what you do know and that you can find answers to. And the other stuff, you're just going to have to be patient. And maybe the day and the time will come when the answers will be revealed, but if they're not, just move forward. Well, Susan, I think we're about to the end of our time. And they've already set the stage for you and I to make any concluding comments and bear our testimony. How about if you go first? Well, I just want to express to you youth all over the world that we love you. We're doing this tonight because we truly care about who you are and what you're trying to become. And we see wonderful things ahead for each of you. And we know that the Lord will bless you to do whatever you need to. 
that when you need courage, you'll have courage, that when you need to have questions answered, when you need to feel the love of the Lord in your life each day, that you'll have that come. And I hope that you will look for God's hand in your life every day and look for ways that he blesses you. Because if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, then you can always know that he's with you. Now, I just, this has been a wonderful evening for me. I can't even express. I've seen youth in the places that we traveled all over the world in my mind's eye. And I just hope that you know that you're a part of a wonderful, wonderful gathering of people. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And our hearts tonight have been knit together in unity and love. I hope everyone's felt that because we have. Now, as we conclude this meeting, I want to share a gift that's most precious to me, and that's my testimony. And I pray that the Spirit will be with me while I bear it, that you young people will know that I have a testimony, a strong testimony of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that it's true. I know that God lives. I know that he hears and answers prayers that he's concerned about you and your concerns. And I know that Jesus is our Savior and our Redeemer. I felt his love, his redeeming love, when I've made poor choices and mistakes in my life. And I've been strengthened, too, by the power of his atoning sacrifice that's helped me to do things that I did not think I could do and helped me be good when I wasn't sure that I could be good. For that, I love him, and I'm grateful to our Savior. I know that the Holy Ghost is real. I know that the scriptures are the word of God. I know that the heavens aren't closed, that revelation hasn't ceased, and that God continues to speak his mind and will today to men whom we sustain as prophets and seers and revelators. I know President Monson is a prophet of God. And before all of you leave to go to your homes tonight, I want you to know that I know that Elder Bednar has been called of God. And I don't say this just because he's, I'm his wife, but the Spirit's born witness to me that he is a special witness of the name of Jesus Christ in all the world. He's been called of God by prophecy and by those who have the authority. And I bear that witness and express my love. My heart's full for this evening that we spent together. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. I just want to share one observation before I bear my testimony. Sister Bednar and I love to meet with young people and invite them to ask questions all over the world. And there are a number of themes that come through. And you've heard one of them tonight, dealing with the opposition, the challenges, how do you stand up for what you know is right. And I would just point out that every generation has its tests. I don't think it was easy for young people your age to pull handcarts. 
I don't think it was easy for young people your age to live through World War II. I don't think it was easy in our youth to face certain things. So everybody in a generation faces changes, challenges of various kinds. I had an experience with President Hinckley a number of years ago where he and I were seated together and he said, David, this is the greatest season in the history of the restored church. Never has the church been as well known and as well regarded. Never have we had the resources to help move the work forward in all the earth as we do today. Oh, David, this is the greatest season in the history of the restored church. It was not better in the days of Joseph Smith. It was not better in the days of Brigham Young. This is the greatest season in the history of the restored church. And we get to live now. We get to be here. People throughout all previous dispensations have looked forward to this day and the things that would occur. So there are great challenges and opportunities equal to or greater than those challenges for those who are true and faithful to the covenants that we enter into as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. As one of his apostles, acting in the authority of the holy apostleship, I witness that God, the eternal Father, and his son Jesus Christ live. They are real. We are sons and daughters of the eternal Father. Jesus the Christ is the only begotten Son of the Eternal Father. He is our Savior and our Redeemer. And I witness He lives. He is resurrected. The tomb is empty. He stands at the head of His church. He speaks. He directs its affairs. My beloved young brothers and sisters from all over the world, I pray the Holy Ghost can confirm in your heart the truthfulness of what I declare. My words are inadequate. My capacity to express it is far too limited. But may you know by the power of the Holy Ghost that all of these things are true. That the Father and the Son appeared to Joseph in the sacred grove. Initiating the restoration of the gospel in these latter days, even the dispensation of the fullness of times. Heavenly messengers conferred authority and keys upon Joseph and his associates. And today, all of those keys are held by President Thomas S. Monson, and he is authorized to exercise those keys to bless and benefit the people of the earth. My beloved brothers and sisters, all of these things are true. I witness that they are true. And invoke this blessing upon you. That as you ask, seek, knock, you may have the assurance to know that indeed there will come an answer according to the Lord's will and timing. It may not be the answer you want, but you will will receive the answer that you need and you will be able to press forward with confidence in this greatest season in the history of the restored church. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our dear, kind, and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this wonderful opportunity we've had to 
gathered together with um, Elder Bednar. Um, please bless that tonight um, as we all go home that we can pray for ourselves and receive our own assurance that the things which were testified to us today are true. Please bless that um, as we all travel home that we can um, travel in safety and ponder the things we've been taught today. And we pray these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.